thanks for joining us on another episode of the Ikigai Project. Today, we wanted to look ahead. As we think about our future, what might the next couple decades of transitions bring for us? We thought, wouldn't it be great to chat with someone who has experienced several significant career and personal transitions over their lifetime and learn from them? Our guest today, David Marlowe, is in many ways a modern elder. We'll uncover more about what that actually means, how he's mentoring others, and apply those lessons in our own lives. During David's 30-year career, he has served in senior and executive leadership roles and currently runs his own consulting and coaching business. Not only that, David embodies the spirit of Guy by sharing content daily on the topic with his email newsletter called The Icky Quest. Welcome, David. Oh, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here and looking forward to the conversation. And um, I was also going to mention that uh, Peter actually has a personal connection to you as well. Yeah. So, David, you and I met over LinkedIn um, of, of, of many places that we could meet, you know, really interesting people. And we connected over this idea of Ikigai, uh, even expanded into, you know, areas of innovation, design thinking, product development, and just uh, I I saw you as just somebody uh, who just has so much knowledge in different areas um, and really cares about helping people, you know, uh, discover new ideas and new ways of thinking. And I think your your work around Ikigai and, and helping people understand uh, what their life's purpose looks like was really inspiring. So in many ways, there's just like two magnets coming together, like we were saying earlier in, uh, in the pre-show, and, and here we are. So thank you again for, for making the time. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm, I'm super psyched about, uh, about the conversation. Yeah. So what, uh, as you know, this season, we're really thinking about um, uh, the topic of, of transitions as, as something that's, you know, really close to, I think, all of our lives. Um, we're all going through transition of one way or another. And um, I'm just curious, when it comes to the word transition, um, what does it mean to you? What does it look like in your life? Just to keep it broad to, to start. Sure. I mean, if you think about it at a you know high level, it's obviously a change, right? You're going from one one place to another. But I was kind of pondering this just in ahead of the conversation. I thought you know transition is also like a passage between two themes in music too. It is it's it's not necessarily a change from one thing to another. It's like a connecting point, and uh, I think to me that is a that is a very hopeful approach to you know to transitions and uh mark i like what you were talking about the the future and the and and seeing as bright that to me is a is a more forward thinking definition of transition and i kind of like that yeah i think that that's interesting relating it to music and this idea of kind of blending it's not usually such that you have a transition that is a stark sudden change it's it's something that can be gradual um yeah, so I appreciate that insight. So in terms of transition, so when you think about in the music analogy that you just shared, what are moments that you see as, yeah, maybe things are happening where, you know, you might be bracing for that transition or starting to think about it. What are some kind of leading indicators, I guess you could say? <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah, if we only got more indicators sometimes, right? <laughs> like, uh, I could think to, um, I'll share one year with you that uh, probably, probably the biggest transition of, of my life was was uh, 2015. And um, 
it, it combined almost every element. So my I would always visit my dad out in Arizona. He's, he would winter in Arizona, and I would um, I'd always go out and spend a week with him. And I I uh, was really hard pressed to get time to do that in 2015, and and I just said no, I got to do it, and I and I did. And then uh, just days after I left, uh, he he passed away unexpectedly, and we had some uh, we had some time together. But my de- my father passed away. My first grandchild was born six weeks later. My youngest child, who uh, and my only daughter, graduated from college, and then got married, and then moved away to go to law school. And then I got uh, I got the um, you've probably aged out in your career speech uh, that fall, like all in one year. I had all of that uh, kind of hit me. Uh, and so just about every aspect of life was was touched on in that year. And the thing is, though, so like uh, I'll share about the uh, the career one, for example. Um, I had been leading a, a transformation at a, at a very storied company, a 150-year-old company that was highly successful. And I convinced them that they, they needed to do things to be better, to stay relevant, to stay successful and stuff. And so I was running that program. And it was kind of running its course. And then uh, I had a I had a conversation with one of the VPs one day because I, I had done, I mean, I had handed this com- company, and I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of millions of dollars in savings. And I got like an eh review for the year. <laughs> and I went to, I was like, what's what's the deal with this? He goes, he says, you've, you've aged out. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you got to have, you got to have enough time, like 10 years uh, to to be promoted twice in order to get promoted again at all. Basically, because if you tell anybody I said this, I'll deny it, but uh, you're done. <laughs> and, and I had to go home and think, okay, well, what am I doing here? If, you know, I, I, I obviously needed a job at that point and needed to continue to work, but I really had to sit back and evaluate. It's like, okay, what do you want? What do you want from this? And that's where I was really glad that I had an understanding of my ikigai at that time because it it forced me into resetting and and thinking through well what do you want out of this job i mean you obviously make a living things like that but but in terms of every day it's not going to be the next step the next step the next step what's it going to be and that's when i really began to embrace that idea of being in a modern elder and sharing the knowledge and and mentoring and doing more of that kind of work and and funneling my energies and my my enthusiasm toward that and just touching on that david i think what you shared there struck a chord where you mentioned that those are really hard conversations to have about your career and yet um you try you chose to take that as a positive and turn it into something that could be really beneficial for you a moment of clarity and um a new vision for where you wanted to take things I've heard from other people and and have experienced it myself where sometimes that can be seen as a a setback, a challenge. Um, can you talk a little bit about like how you had that mindset? Yeah, I'd love to say that I've always had that mindset. It just comes naturally to me and all that, but it'd be a lie. So <laughs> um I uh had a, a couple different points in my in my career that pushed me really to 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 start to invest in self-reflection um and self-understanding um i'll go back uh oh boy uh, more than a quarter of a century ago now I, ha- I had this dream and it's one of those dreams that just like when you wake up it just sticks with you 
And uh, in it, funny thing, Steve Mariucci, who used to coach the San Francisco 49ers, like I'm not a 49er fan. I'm not a Steve Mariucci fan. I'm sure he's a fine guy and all that. But I mean, it's not like that means anything to me. But in this dream, Steve Mariucci comes to me and he says, what would you do if you were done? And I said, what? Like, like I heard the question. But he goes, what would you do if you were done? And then, boom, I woke up. I was like, wow. And it just, I couldn't get it out of my head. I still, I mean, like I could see it as I'm telling you, as I'm seeing him standing in front of me. And it really started me thinking, like, at that point in my, uh, I'll say life and career, I was, uh, I think I had just turned 40 and um, my kids were, were were starting high school and I had a, a good, healthy marriage and financially it was better off than I'd ever been. It was at really at the peak of my career as a VP at a at a Fortune 500 company and things like that. And and I thought, wow, what would I do if I had done? Done what? What does done mean? Done working, done climbing. Done, and it forced me to start thinking about what do you want in your life? What do you want besides the, the things I'd already had, the default kind of things, you know, married and and uh, house and kids and things like that. And uh, that really started me on the, the path of, of digging deeper into my true essence and my true self and what I wanted and gave me really the foundation of, of that kind of examination, right? Beyond the, uh, and it wasn't like I was disillusioned. I wasn't disillusioned at all. I mean, I, but I saw, okay, you, you have reached a pretty high level and, and in, in a big company. And as far as that goes, uh, short of being a CEO or something like that, uh, probably that was probably as high as I wanted to go and would, would have wanted to go anyway. And it wasn't like I wanted more and I couldn't get more. Just like, what do you want? And I started thinking about that and, and investing in that understanding. And then about 10 years after that, um, I had to have shoulder surgery. And I was, had left that company by then. And um, I was going to be out of commission for like three months. And we were reorganizing things at, at work. And so as a manager, they were going to give me a new duty. They like to shift things up every so often. And I was going to take over a different team and somebody was going to take over mine. Well, they thought, well, since you're going to be out, why don't we just go ahead and let them take over your team and you can do the turnover and then we'll figure out what you're going to do when you get back. And so I take off this time and I'm home and I'm basically, I would do physical therapy for an hour. I would read for an hour. I would ice for an hour. I would do physical therapy for an hour and you kind of get the idea, right? And I couldn't even think about work because I didn't have a job. I was gainfully employed, so I didn't have any money worries. And I didn't have any duties I had to worry about. And I was literally forbidden logging on as I was on disability, right? And it was like the most free I'd ever felt in my life. I mean, I I started working when I was 16 years old in, in commercial radio. So, I mean, I was doing stuff from the time I was little. and um, And that really pushed me. I was, I was very present for my family. I was connected to my friends. I was doing things I wanted to be doing, like taking care of my body and reading. And, and it's like, man, this is what I want. I want this life. And that's when I started beginning to, to move and try and shift more and more of what I did to how I felt during that time, short of the painkillers and things like that. <laughs> right. So I, I'm curious, uh, in that time, I think that's really, that's really valuable. And Mark, I, I think you can probably relate to this right now being on kind of an extended 
sabbatical, extended leave. Uh, and I've had that experience, unfortunately, after I was laid off, it was just like, okay, I have some time to take care of myself and really figure out what do I want to do? What do I want? Um, for those of us who are in that daily, you know, kind of grind, if you will, or just like, we're just trying to get through the, the workday, support our families, maintain our relationships, take care of ourselves physically. What are some things that you know, you, you think are essential to keep going or how do you have those moments of reflection so that you're not losing that part? Cause like, personally, I'm having that challenge right now. You know, we're, we're wedding planning, uh, got a full-time job. That's really demanding. We got a dog, you know, six months ago. So I have little time to do journaling or, you know, meditation. It's, it's just really challenging and just any, any advice around that kind of when you're just so busy. I guess. Yeah. I I was, uh, so I, I coach a lot of people in this space. And one of the things that I will, I will do is, is encourage them to find something and do it frequently, if not for a long period of time. So even like 15 minutes a day, you can read 12 business books a year, 15 minutes a day. Uh, you can read, you know, the Bible. That's a, that's a big book. You can read that in a year. So it doesn't take a lot of time it's more about the consistent habits and I like to ritualize things too. So I'll, I'll do a lot of my uh, reading either when I first get up or when I go to bed, uh, same with some of my reflection time and, and, and um, creating those, those habits and the rituals and the, the trigger points for you so that it's not something you have to force yourself to do. Uh, it's, it's something that like when I sit down, I'm at, at my computer right now, when I sit down at my computer, I'm ready to write because I get my I get an espresso in the morning. I sit down, log in, and I write, and that has become both a habit, but also like a morning ritual for me. And so I'm going to get that writing, and I don't have to go. Oh man, I really need to find some time to write. Is like building that in and doing it really small. I mean, give yourself the freedom because yeah, I mean that I personally think you you guys are at the at the toughest stage of life when you're getting when you're, you're trying to establish that that marital relationship and your career and then maybe you'll add in a kid or two at some point in uh, so distant future you got a dog right i mean all of that you're you're trying to build you and a foundation of, of a career and try to keep it all together it's i i feel like that's the toughest stage of life really um and uh don't envy that you have i envy your your bodies right at that i wish my body was like 30 years old but i don't envy what you have to do at at 30 ish years old and that that's a a nice transition to what you mentioned earlier you said 2015 was just such a huge year memorable in a lot of ways and um challenging i'm sure many as well with so many different changes we went deep there and talked a little bit about career but i want to go back to those personal transitions because um yeah as someone who's considering having kids i mean we don't know what the future holds but uh i am really curious for you like how did some of those milestones or those transitions in your family, um, whether it's the loss of a loved one like your father or um, your grandchildren hitting milestones, playing soccer or graduating law school, how did those maybe differ for you and how you work through them versus career transitions? Yeah. So the um, the the grandfather thing, I, I have to say, uh it's probably the probably the happiest moment of my life, like combined, you know, it was not that, not that it's more or less, it's it's just 
like all of the other stuff and add it in. You know, I remember thinking uh, I was holding East Easton's my grandson's name, and I was holding Easton, and I remember thinking this is like the first time in my life something really great has happened that I didn't have to work for or pay for, right? Like my my daughter's wedding was a wonderful thing. I had to pay for that. Uh, but you know, things in my career, I I worked for, or even my you know my marriage, I had to convince my wife to marry me. You know, but this is like somebody just said. Here's something awesome, and you don't have to do anything but take it. Here you go. And uh, to me, that was a a wonderful, wonderful gift, and um, and uh, a a connection to my son. Uh, it's my son's son, uh, in a way that was just like a multiplier for, for my relationship. I mean, what people will sometimes say, "Oh, my grandkids are this or that," and they almost like they they don't love their kids as much. It's not that. It's more like it's like a pastor. It's like like an additive thing. And, um, so for me, that was, a that was a great, um, positive, especially in the, in the midst of still, still dealing with, you know, my dad passing and stuff like that. And my dad was 88 years old. So, I mean, it wasn't like, it was a complete and total surprise or anything, but he was very healthy. And like he and I were hiking canyons in Arizona together just days before. Um, but then, um, it was kind of a passing almost of of the mantle then to me too in that role and uh, i've seen myself as a grandfather very different than a father so um there's a there's a meme uh, uh i was a marine so uh there was a there's this meme around it has um i forget the guy's name uh, he was in full metal jacket army or arnie or something like that anyway he's, he's a very famous like drill sergeant They've got him in one frame and he's like this, you know, he's yelling. And then the other is him as an older guy, just laughing and, and smiling and wearing like an old Marine hat and stuff. And he says, my father as my parent, my father as a grandfather, you know, and, and like the side by side, like, oh, he's just this happy-go-lucky ex-Marine, but he was a drill instructor when he was my dad. And it's like, yeah, there's a little truth to that <laughs> because as a, as a grandparent, you're not on the hook for them for everything every day and you are almost automatically positioned to be in a, a space where you can be more present more patient I, I consider it almost like a gap filler right like the parents are stressed and they're trying to do their jobs all the things we were just talking about and then the experience and knowing when to let some things go and and supporting them both right the parents and the kids kind of in that role and so to me that's a that's the thing that I treasure about that transition into that role is uh, is the gap filler kind of if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm wondering, as you made that transition, was there something that you learned about yourself that maybe you could have shared with a, a younger version earlier, any kind of words of wisdom that you you could have shared to yourself, you know, 10, 20 years. Yeah. I'm just curious if there's anything that comes to mind. Oh yeah. Lots. <laughs> that always, that's kind of that cringe. You're like, I wish I'd have known that then sort of things, but mostly that it, relax, right? Everything is not, everything isn't urgent. Everything isn't important has to be done. Allow yourself to be more present in those moments and, and, patient with yourself and with with your kids and um uh, things that that you know you know and you you glean over time that are that are important and are relevant and 
most things are not. I mean, I'm a big, I'm almost maniacal in my application of 80-20 to the work that I do and things. And if I had been able to apply that more to my personal life when I was younger, I think I would have been uh, more successful as a person in that, that success sense. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so few things that really matter. And those things really matter a lot. So focus on those and relax about the rest of it. It's all going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Is there an example of an 80-20 that you can give us? <laughs> I'm just, just curious if there's something that comes to mind. Oh, you know, like, like, oh, well, so maybe, maybe this is, maybe this is it or not, but I'll share. Cause I um, was telling a story just the other day to, to a group of business people. But um, so my, uh, my grandson, I, uh, my grand, oldest grandson, and oldest granddaughter spent a lot of time with us. And, and my grandson, he eats left-handed, but he's right-handed. And I was watching him and it's just kind of puzzling me. And I mentioned to my wife, I said, you know, don't you find it interesting that Easton eats with his left hand, but he does everything else right-handed? She goes, no, I don't find it interesting. You find things like that interesting. I just want him to eat. you know. <laughs> and, and that pressure to like get him to eat and get him to eat the right foods and all, they're going to be fine. They're going to grow up. They're going to, they're going to, you know, eat enough to, if, if they're, if they're growing at a reasonable level, you know, I mean, it was, I was way too uptight about that kind of thing or whether, whether they, uh, you know, got into teams or got grades. Like, I, I wish I had known completely that, that like grade school stuff is irrelevant. I mean, grade Y, all that stuff. It's like 99.999% of that's irrelevant. And and I did pick up on it some, like my uh, my son, for example, my, my middle son, I should say, um, he's a brilliant kid. <laughs> to this day, he still can't hardly do handwriting. His handwriting is awful. And it was awful then. And he would come home with his, he came home with his credit card or credit card. It's a, a report card one day and, you know, needs improvement in handwriting or whatever. And he was bawling. He's all upset. And it's like, if there's one thing that, that you can ignore uh, in school, it's, it's your handwriting. Don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And, and you know, kind of, I wish I had had that attitude about that on more things, you know, and, and all it's all stuff you, you think is important. It's not like, I want this for me. It was, it was, I thought it would be helpful for them. And I wanted them to, you know, set themselves up to succeed and, and all that. And again, most things like that are totally irrelevant. Yeah. And it's, you know, to be fair for all of us, like the society we're in doesn't make it easy to relax um, and and do that 80, 20. There's so many distractions between, you know, our smartphone device and, um, you know, what people think that we should be doing or what we believe we need to be doing based on um, those different opinions. And um, so it's it's definitely not easy. And one thing that I'm noticing just in hearing some of your insights, David, is just how much you care for others, how much you care for your family and those around you in your community. Um, I want to go back to where we started with this conversation, which was about this idea of eldership and how, you know, it used to be. And what I love about learning about you is you describe yourself as a modern elder. Can you tell us a bit of a backstory about how that came to be? And what does that look like in 2023, being a modern elder? Yeah, well, I have the, you you won't see it because it's audio, but I have the hair for it. I have the the white hair. Um, that's the that's the first requirement. Not, not really, but. <laughs> it's looking pretty good. You got the wavy hair yeah, and you've got the, the mustache and yeah, it's very fitting. It's great. Yeah, I got an early start on that. I I had the, 
<laughs> I remember I was in my late forties and we went to a movie and um uh my daughter was with us and the kid at the counter says uh okay three three to see it was inception that's how long ago it was inception and he goes all right so and he looks up at me he goes uh, two adults and and i think he's gonna say you know like kid and my daughter's not 14 or 15 at the time so clearly not like under 12 and then, and then he says and one senior and i'm like senior he said yeah I said, well what's what a senior take he's oh it's uh 62 and i was like 49 at the time i said no no i got real indignant no no seniors and there we we left out after that we went to uh we would i think it was arby's or something i got some fast food right then and, uh, and i go up to the counter and the guy's ringing it up you know he says oh you know two roast beefs and looks at me he says oh senior discount and i'm like fine fine whatever i'm just gonna i'm just gonna roll with it but yeah yeah the uh the white hair aside it's a uh it's a characteristic of my uh my father's lineage uh a lot of good um uh, Irish stock up in there, get the, the white hair. Well, at least you, at least you have hair. Some of us are, their hair is disappearing. So <laughs> true. That's, a, that's kind of my thing. It's like, as long as I have some up there, I'm, I'm not too worried about what, uh, what color it is. <laughs> oh yeah. It's a, um, it's a thing that, uh, I, I take very seriously and probably, uh, if I, if I were to name the, the accomplishments, quote unquote accomplishments in my career, almost all, the very best ones centered around acting out in that that role of a modern elder of having the having uh, I'll I'll say wisdom. It sounds a little self congratulatory, but you know the wisdom, the experience, and and the patience, right? So like like I had shared when I hit that point where these are the key things, and and also just helping them uh, again relax in themselves dig deeper into into ikigai and and be that presence i and i i don't mean it in a um, uh diminishing way but like like a grandparent for them i mean like someone that because to me a grandparent is like the ultimate leader you care about them and you care about them at a deep level and you're not judging them there's no judgment there's no uh investment of you in their their success doesn't reflect on you so you can just totally be there for them and and applying that you know more broadly to to the people i encountered at, at work or people that i mentor now and things like that um having that level of of uh, availability and concern and caring and then some tangible practical knowledge to apply I mean, to me that's like a really winning combination yeah that's a great way to look at it i, I think about some of the best leaders that i've had in, in my life both you know personal and professional they they did come across as like the grandparent figure, you know, that gives you a lot of space to, to learn, make mistakes, but also come back to you with some advice and some direction and not, not to give you exactly what to do, but more just like point you in the right direction. And I think that's a really interesting, you know, um, observation earlier. You, you, you mentioned, uh, Mark and I are in, in our, our 30 ish, um, as if we're early thirties, but we're actually more like mid to late thirties. And, you know, we're, we're not too far away, you know, we're like a couple decades <laughs> away from being in that position of, of, you know, being recognized as, as an elder um, or senior in a society. But I think Mark and I, and I think a lot of people listening really wanted to actually bring this type of um, mentality into our, our day to day today and start working on it today. 
Um, what are your what are your thoughts on that? Like in terms of how can we start working the the specific muscles or the mindset on becoming, you know, kind of that modern elder and get starting to carve that path out? Yeah. I think one thing, and and we touched on this a little uh, before we we started recording, uh, you know, empathy interviewing, for example, that having that ability to listen and listen at a deep level, like you do in design thinking, but I mean, this is just on a personal level. To me, that's a huge, huge skill. I mean, from a tangible, what can I do to get better at this? Really invest in genuine listening. Because it is in that listening that you're going to be the most available. It's also where you're going to pick up a lot of things for yourself. I mean, uh, it's it's amazing to me the more I've spent time with people and, and listened to them and connected with them at a deep level, I've learned even more about myself in that process. And so doing that, especially at that uh, at the point of life and career you guys are at, I think that is a huge, huge leap forward if you can incorporate that into into your tech, you know, tactical skill plus uh, the emotional aspect of it as well. Just on that, David, um, five years ago, I took a year-long coaching certificate with the outcome of like learning skills on how to be a professional kind of career coach. And um, I was doing some of the real-life coaching as part of the program. There was a very involved practicum, and so I was coaching individuals. And your thought there really resonates with this idea of listening because. There are a lot of different skills to be a good coach, but certainly one of them that with consistent and doing those sessions was being 100% present for that client, that individual, and being there. And they were the ones who had all of your attention. And even if you think about loved ones or friends, that's not something that's easy to come by in conversations. You know, everyone's got their own stuff. And so, yeah, I'm taking away from this conversation that idea of how do you be a really good listener because it's a skill. And um, especially for someone that you're looking to provide a meaningful experience with, can you really hold space for them and let them go where they want to go on a certain topic that's really top of mind? Yeah. And to me, what resonates with that is is what you mentioned earlier, David, around presence, just being there fully in that moment. And I find that really challenging. <laughs> I Like I'm the first to admit that when my partner is talking to me about how her day is going, I'm still reeling from like, well, this happened at work and I just can't like find that ability to to disconnect. And, and I need to get better at that and find kind of deline delineation, I guess, of, um, you know, when work ends, it's time to engage. Like, what are your thoughts on on that? Like, I know you're big on habits and creating kind of consistency, but how do you create presence to help with the the listening and connection with others yeah it's a couple things one obviously there is um you know the, the distractions of the world if you will and the tactical piece that i've done i know for myself i i had like a blackberry do you remember blackberries and man I, that that whole experience really got me early on before that was before smartphones and stuff but uh that constant notification and and all that learning to just turn that off and to disconnect uh, from that. So I, so on my phone, for example, I don't have any, I'm, I'm on a bunch of social media for like, like workish things. So uh, sharing stuff on LinkedIn, that kind of thing, but it's not, it's not just, you know, to, to be on there. And so I have no notifications of any kind turned on so that I don't get the interrupts. I mean, that's from a, from a practical and tactical standpoint, then 
the other is, is is investing in you know in a level of mindfulness and other you know being present because yeah we are always like wanting to spin and churn and so so those practices you know breathing meditation and and other techniques but really investing in that so that you get a you can slow that down and slow yourself down and really not be back processing uh, a whole bunch of other stuff and then i would say finally like the uh, i had a i had a habit of checking emails on like friday afternoon and it's like there's no good can come from checking an email at five o'clock like what are you going to do Right. <laughs> what are you going to do now? If if it's something that's got to get taken care of, now you're going to work all weekend on it. If it's something you can't take care of, you're going to fume about it all weekend, right? And so, uh, so I I began a practice of turning off my email uh, early before I quit work for the day and putting an out of office notification on. So somebody's like, if it's urgent and it's really urgent, you have to text me. Otherwise, I will get I won't read this until Monday morning, and then I could really do that. And then if I had any ideas or anything that came up, uh, I would immediately send myself an email with that idea or that thing to do. And then now the back processing is gone. So I mean, building in, uh, you know, tactical behaviors like that on top of the habits and the other things so that you don't have those excuses to get connected to something else. I mean, those are those were key for me anyway, that particular one. But I mean, whatever's working in your life that allows you to just shut off and not not engage in that thinking. I think that's really valuable. And I will definitely be looking at my phone after this to see what can <laughs> I what can I cut? So I'm not I'm not. Yeah, I think, you know, the the, the phone is such a challenging tool because it connects you with so much and there's so much to be like, appreciative of of what I can do. But I find it just so challenging to come back to the presence when there's something like that just right, right around the corner. Um, I want to switch over to the topic of EKI, which I know you're really, really passionate about. You have a uh, a daily blog that you write um, and you're on LinkedIn as well, uh, writing about this topic and uh, and, and many others. Um, what does EKI mean to you today? Um, how, how has it evolved over the last few years? So my understanding of it obviously is evolved as I've both experienced it and then really studied it. I mean, I, I had the introduction that a lot of people do uh, of the of the Venn diagram, uh, which I call it the Venn garden now. It's it's all part of the Venn garden. It's not, <laughs> uh, what you love, what you're good at, what people are willing to pay for, right? And, and you can Google this and you, you'll find it uh, on the interwebs. Yeah. Yeah. Try Googling it and not finding it, right? That's the <laughs> right. Um, and that's that's a that's a helpful original frame. But uh for me, uh where I've I've gone both in my experience and my understanding of it and the way that I I teach it uh so that people can grasp it is Ikigai is is your essence, the the real you, the the true and authentic you, and experiencing that and your purpose in harmony with whatever you do so that's that's and that is broad and encompassing that's that's not just your jobs that's being a grandparent that's running that's drinking espresso that's all the things that and and experiencing life in harmony with who you really are and why you were really created and why you're here on this earth Um, and to me that's the that's the true and deeper meaning of ikigai and and living that out is 
uh, again, that deeper experience too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, we touched on it a little bit, but one of the many things that I admire about you, David, is your highly impactful career. I mean, you spent over 30 years at a variety of organizations. You served in the Marine Corps for five years. You're at General Electric for a, a decade and um, you know, had a, had a incredibly long tenure at Northwestern Mutual for 15 years. So um, one of the things, though, in kind of just preparing for today, I've noticed is that at pivotal points in your career, you had the courage to say no and knew when something wasn't the right fit for you. How did you because that's something that I have struggled with and still do, you know, uh, I can just paint a picture on a, an experience um, and then maybe you can can give me your thoughts. but. You know, it's easy when you're in career momentum. I spent seven years at a technology company called Slack. And it's it's easy if you are hardworking and successful. It's not easy, but to find yourself on a bit of a path, a well-defined, you know, trail that takes you to the next more senior role. And I think for me, and I'm still learning, but I think one thing that stuck out is maybe for me on my career path, becoming a a senior VP or a more senior director of sales, let's say, would be something that would make sense. However, I've had lots of reflection on whether or not, like, is that what I really want? Or is that kind of what I want because I've shown success at the roles leading up to that? So with that kind of story in mind, can you share a little bit about your experience saying no to certain, um, you know, enticing jobs in your career or situations? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll share the last one first because it's probably the I think the most uh, connected to to your question. So um, as I as I said, I had led uh, transformation work at uh, at a very storied and great company. I have only good feelings towards this company, and and I could tell that it was wearing down. And they were you know th- that kind of thing people tire of it. You know, le- lean transformations and and continuous improvement, despite the name, isn't always continuous. And um, I, I could tell that I was gonna I was going to fade, and um, so I so I got on LinkedIn and just started sharing myself um, because the last thing you want to do is like try and connect with people on LinkedIn when you need a job, right? <laughs> and um, and because I was sharing just my thoughts and a lot of what you know we're doing here today, the just things I know or, or thought that might be valuable, I uh, I asked some friends. I said, you know what. Uh, What's this cause is coming across? This is before personal branding and stuff like that was kind of a thing. Um, but I thought, what what would be my brand if if I were to brand this? Because this is just me. And several of them, you know, gave me some answers. But one one guy said, uh, he goes, "Wonder what's your brand?" But you look into Iki guy. What, what's that? And so that's how I got going into that. But but because I had that sense for my Iki guy and I understood what it was. Uh, my division ended up getting eliminated. So they eliminated the whole division and uh, they offered me, you know, a very nice job and everything uh, to, to replace it. But I looked at that and because I had that sense for who I was and what I was about, it, I just, it would have been a soul crushing job. And I would have spent the next six or seven years, you know, drifting into to official retirement. Um, and it just wouldn't have been beneficial to me or, or really to the company. And it was such a thing that I couldn't even do what I had shared. I, I did earlier where I made some pivots and started doing more mentoring. It would have just been, like I said, kind of soul crushing stuff. And so that enabled me because I had that sense 
I could take the very generous offer, which was a uh, a nice early retirement package, and actually do what I really wanted to do, which was write and start my company and spend more time with my grandkids. And you take that, and I'll share one of the executive VPs, one of my peers. Um, he had this; he was in the same uh, same reduction, and we got in the elevators together. And I said, um, shortly after we got the news, I said, "How are you doing?" He goes, "I don't know." Because I'm not even sure who I am. I mean, this job has been me for, I think he'd been there 35 years, almost his whole career. And and his whole sense of self was wrapped up in that that job. And so for me, it wasn't. And so I could stand back and look at it differently than he did. Um, and I had uh, the ability then to say no. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie and say 18 or nine months later, nine months later in the middle of a pandemic, a soul-crushing job with a steady paycheck sounded really good, <laughs> you know. But I knew, I knew I had made the right decision, and and I, uh, it's only been reinforced by time. But um, so, so that's one thing about it, right? Is is having that sense of self enables you to say yes and no to certain things. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Yeah, I mean, um, and I think that's probably been a theme throughout our exploration, Peter and I together, is like self-discovery helps you live authentically and be attuned to the things in life that give you energy or the ones that take it away. So, um, yeah, that really rings a bell for us. Yeah, and I think that you, when you invest in that, that's that's uh, that's an enabler. I mean, that allows you to make that decision, have confidence in it, or and even, like I said, I mean... Uh, in the midst of the pandemic. Yeah, I gave a few minutes of thought to did I make the right decision, but I was so sure of it. And, and I, I trudged ahead without a whole lot of, uh, a lot of concern because I'm, I was certain that I, I had made the right call for myself for the long term and, and handled it. And so, so looking at things like that, I mean, there's, there is a default path and I think there's a certain amount of things you like Richard Rohr uh, is a great book called falling upward. Richard Rohr talks about there's two halves of life and uh, not literal half, like you're 40 years old and you're, when you live to be 80, but your second half can start at any point in time in life, whether you're 25 or 85. But the first half is about building the vessel, creating the vessel, doing the things that you know we've talked about you guys doing. The second half is about filling it up and, and why you're here. And having that sense for there'll be a point when you'll want to do that. And is that next promotion and all the other things, the filling up part, or is that just continuing to try and build the vessel? And is the vessel already done? I mean, there's, there's nothing wrong. I, I'm not anyway, disparaging, you know, building a career. Those are all really good things. What I would ask people to start thinking about, how can I do that and do that in a way that, that, is true to them, to, you know, to my family, to my, my job, whatever, and, and to myself too, and, and grow into that. Yeah. And, and just, just riffing on that concept, my own experience, uh, which is different for everyone is, um, I think I've had success in sales and would likely continue to have success by believing in the purpose of the company, the why or the, so what, and, when I believe in what I'm selling, it's not really selling. It comes naturally. And so, um, you know, for me, really having a belief in the purpose of the organization is going to be an important criteria in how I make decisions for future employers, as an example. 
That is great alignment. Yeah. When you understand your purpose and you know the company purpose and you can work to align those and support those. Oh man, that's when the magic happens right there. hundred percent. And for those of us who are, you know, trying to figure out what that, you know, as you mentioned, your, your personal essence, what, what, you know, gets fired, gets you fired up and excited about um, showing up every day. What, what do you recommend people do to explore that aspect a little bit more? So it's, there's alignment across, um, yeah, you know, who you are and, and what you're great at and what you want to be doing. Well, a big thing is, is being willing to, to learn and learn both, uh, experientially and, and informally. So, I mean, be willing to read and, and, and explore yourself. Uh, that's a huge thing. And we were talking about you know, even that 15 minutes, right? So just, um, finding some, some material that can help you explore. So I'll, I'll even say I've done some, what's called shadow work in the last couple of years that I had never done before. I mean, it was like a whole new area to me and exploring uh, the shadow parts of my personality was, was very, very revealing. Uh, sometimes fun revealing, sometimes not so fun revealing. <laughs> um, and I wish I had understood that concept, for example, much, much earlier in life. Um, but it is, it is investing in that and others who, uh, I would say, find like a modern elder to help you too, and, and point out those, those books or those approaches or the meditations or things that you can do to understand yourself better. And, and then the other thing is just experience things. So, so do some stuff, do some things. Uh, including change a job or you know take take a risk, not a huge life altering <laughs> risk, but like risks and things to kind of find out more about yourself and what you're uh, what you're open to doing. And those are the ways to you know. There's no okay. This is your 18 month program to find you. It's it's an ever ever uh, deepening understanding, but it's committing to that and then staying on that path. Um. The shadow work piece really kind of, you know, my antenna went up for that one because I think that's really interesting and and we can probably spend another hour just talking about it. But um, could you could you provide some resources or a, a high level on how somebody might be able to explore that aspect? Because I think it, you know, exploring your 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 shadow side or your challenging side is is probably what holds you back or. Or, or not doing it is what holds you back in so many aspects, whether it's personal or professional. And um, I think this is just really important stuff for us to, to, to know at least a point in the right direction for us. So if you have any thoughts on that. Sure. So um, there's several books and I, I could uh, off the top of my head, I don't have, I could always share them with you and we can put them in the notes, but the, um, uh, the example I'll give is, is, is in my own self. And that's, um, uh, it's built into me, but it's also developed over time. I have this sense that like when I can walk into an operation at, at an office and almost intuitively tell you what's right and wrong about what's what's going on there uh, to within I've I've estimated the amount of waste in the work people have done like to within seconds of a per week amount of waste in time. Right. I, I have that sense. And that's a gift. I mean, I think it's a it's a good thing. The shadow part of that, though, is I see it everywhere I go. So when I'm standing in a line at the store and they're not 
handling people the right way and they don't have things set up right and they got the stuff over here when it should be over here i could let that just drive me crazy and i could drive other people crazy driving me crazy right and at times i have because i can't it's very hard to turn that off and so i have to uh, acknowledge that as both the gift and the shadow side um, and allow myself to experience that without it overwhelming me, without without it bur- putting a burden on me and making my life unpleasant. Because let's face it, I mean, everything could be improved. And, uh, you know, the, I went through, I, I did some consulting work last week and I had to go through the airport. And oh my gosh, I mean, it's just a vast a vast opportunity of, of improvement everywhere you go, right? From uh, from security to everything. Um, and in the past, that has like created churn and, and frustration and, and maybe even anger sometimes for me. And learning that about myself and seeing that as both the thing that I can channel, it's a good thing and it's something that's positive as long as I operate in that positive space. And so having that, or um, uh, when I was a kid, uh, very rule oriented, or so I thought. And as I have, as I've looked back, I was often quite the little rule breaker, and not in the causing trouble standpoint as much as uh, just you know challenging and doing doing the things that uh, that a young boy might do, right? And I had sort of hidden that those memories of those things, my wife and I were doing some talking and I forget what she said, uh, but, it, but it sparked a memory and I, I shared what I had done in school. She's like, that doesn't sound like the perfect little angel that I've heard about from your mom. And, and, and we got to talking about it. And I really realized that, that that's the part of me that breaks the rules in the good context of innovation and doing things new and uh, not following the default path in life, but rather following more the ikigai path and and so embracing that without being you know embarrassed or shy away from the reality of of other aspects of that part of of my personality it's like when you know it then you can accept the true self and give yourself a little grace on the the shadow side while multiplying then the valuable part of that that self and and to me it it allowed me also to recognize important people in my life who had good and you know good and bad sides and and uh like my my grandmother my my maternal grandmother uh took care of my younger brother and I when my parents divorced and and looking back and a reality of her you know she had she had a lot of great strengths she had a lot of a lot of weaknesses too and it's okay you know because that's the whole person and that's the wonderful beautiful person that loved me and took care of me and helped me and and having that and embracing both sides of that allowed me to give myself a little grace and extend that grace to others. So to me, shadow work is, is huge. I love that. Um, if I can share a quick, another example, my wife and I independently, uh, before we met both have done Gallup strength finder, which is like a self-assessment quiz and it spits out your top five strengths. And what I love about kind of the report back is it also shows you what the shadow is of each of those strengths. And one of the ones that comes in in our top five is maximizer. So we both love to realize the fullest potential of something in front of us, whether that's, you know, for me in a manager position and working with someone on my team or that's, yeah, a situation in everyday life. And I think the shadow of that strength, though, is 
the sunk cost and like getting too wound up on something that might not be the best use of time, but you're so focused on maximizing it that you're missing that. And so sometimes when we're, you know, thinking about getting a rental car or some kind of just daily activity, we have to step out of ourselves and say, are we being too much of a maximizer right now? Or, um, or is this a good thing that we actually want to be doing? Um, so yeah, just kind of a, another personal example of, of what you've shared around shadows. That's great. I didn't realize that the strengths did that. That's, that's really cool. I, I did want to also just mention um, one resource that's been super helpful for me in getting to know you better, David, is, is actually signing up for your daily Icky Quest. I mean, first of all, the art and the craft of writing daily, I have so much admiration for because I do think that it can be a, a challenge to be self-reflective. Peter's described it when you're busy and have lots of priorities. And one of the things I love about the Icky Quest is that you help add some structure for people like myself who might need a bit of a prod with some self-discovery questions. Um, so I kind of just wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about the Icky Quest. I can think of a recent one that I read that was great. It was all about the importance of release. And you were talking about how for you, your release happens to be running and that can help you be better in all other aspects of your life. And I tend to share that with you. But um, can you just talk a little bit about the Icky Quest project? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Running has kept me uh, happily married for 41 years. Uh, my wife encourages me to go for runs periodically for her health and my health too. <laughs> uh, yeah. The Iki Quest, um, uh, it, I actually just recently renamed it to Iki Quest. It was your daily Iki guy because it was a, it was a thought experiment. Um, I had chosen create as my word of the year a couple of years ago. And um, so I just, the the spark that gave me was to try and look for ways to create. And I forget the exact conversation, but someone had said, you know, it'd be really cool if you had a calendar, like, you know, those daily desk calendars, like Dilbert, you know, where you take a, a new, if you had an guy like every day, I thought, oh, what if I could write something every day that people could almost go to like a calendar? And so that's where the original logo and everything was all uh, like a, like a calendar and things. And, and so in doing that, then uh, both, as you, as you know, I mean, it was a it was a habit uh, development. It was the commitment to really, you know, go deep on some things and and write something of value that that prompted thought for others. And and then doing that for a year, I got such feedback that um, I I wanted to change it and ramp it up to a to a different level and add the quest. You know, everybody's on a quest to Ikigai, right? And um, uh, I like something that Viktor Frankl said that about really our purpose on life is is a quest of self-discovery and connection with others and that that whole that whole idea that we're all on this quest together and it's like oh i like that i mean that really that really spoke to me and so uh, that's where eq quest was born and um so you can you can still get the daily and then there's a eq quest plus which is you go deeper there's uh, extended lessons and, and other you know deeper study you can do as well as some uh some other connection to some writing i'm doing that kind of thing that's awesome um and i i think that that really speaks to what you're trying to create in the world and 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 the impact um and and probably a good place for us to to kind of put a, a pin on this conversation but um before we do for for those of us who are interested in connecting with you and 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 learning more about uh, your work and, and, you know, having a chance to kind of hear more, uh, where, where can we reach out? Where's the best place to go? 
Sure. So you can reach me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. That's a, it's a daily thing too, obviously with a slightly different uh, focus, but, uh, and then IkiQuest is available at ikiquest.substack.com. And you can both read the articles, but in, within that you can email me. And uh, I love those conversations and uh, the opportunity to to hear from people and answer questions and that kind of thing. So that's probably the two best places to get a hold of me. Perfect. Well, I'm sure uh, folks listening will will connect with you and jump in on the Icky Quest. For me, I think the biggest thing, biggest takeaway here is is really the importance of um, you know kind of connection and and really being kind of your authentic self. And I learned a lot just uh, hearing your advice. And I'll, I'll be looking at a few things, including my phone, uh, including you know communication, listening. Um, got a bunch of notes here on on some practical ways that I can uh, start working towards, you know, becoming kind of the best version of, of a modern elder that I can be today. And, and it's so great to have you as an example. So David, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been my great pleasure. Thank you. Excellent. Bye everyone. Thank you so much for listening. Special thank you to Hugh for the theme music. You can check them out at herehue.bandcamp.com. If you're interested in learning more about the Ikigai Project, you can check out the blog at ikigai.blog. And if you found this content useful, please subscribe or tell a friend or family member about this podcast. I'll see you next week for another episode of the Ikigai Project. Take good care for now, everyone. I need to feel love.